Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, everyone. This is George Crawford in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And this is Small Business IT Radio, weekly radio show for small business IT professionals who want to uh, look at new solutions, new ways of doing business, and, and overall growing their business. So welcome to Small Business IT Radio, our first broadcast of uh, of the summer, and we're all pumped about uh you know, having a great summer here in in the western part of Canada. Anyways, we finally got some nice warm weather, and uh, we're really looking forward to hitting some uh, golf balls this afternoon. Anyway, so there we go. That's my uh, personal. That's the rest of my agenda for today after we're done from the show. Um, a couple of housekeeping things. We're on BlogTalkRadio.com, and BlogTalkRadio is a wonderful uh, vehicle if you want to get out there and start broadcasting to the world. It doesn't cost anything to get on there. You just set up an account, and and away you go. I know a few of my colleagues are already set up their own podcast and, and using that as a tool to market their business. So go to blogtalkradio.com today and sign up for an account. And last thing is the Microsoft Partner Conference. It's just over a week away. If you think about all the work days we've got left, we've got a Canada holiday here on Tuesday, 4th of July in the U.S. next week. So there's not a lot of working days left until we all converge on Houston for the Microsoft Worldwide Partner Conference. And I know a few of you guys that are listening out there will be there, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing you all. Anyway, let's dive right into our, our program today. We're uh, going to be talking about Symphonics and um, why the Symphonics solution is the solution that we should be looking at for controlling Internet access, making sure our customers and clients are, are using their Internet for the best of, uh, you know, the best of their business, and, uh, you know, how do we weed out those potential threats that may be coming through over uh, bandwidth usage, uh, you know, streaming audio and all that good stuff, right down to compliance regulations around auditing and and finding out what's going on in our network. Joe Lowry is joining us uh, today uh, from Symphonic. He's the director of business development there. Uh, good morning to you, Joe. Are you guys uh, having some summer down in Utah there? We are, man. We're uh, we're we're not going golfing this afternoon, which uh, makes me wish I was up north here for <laughs> for this afternoon at least. But we're we're having beautiful temperatures down here, and uh, things are. Things have cleared up. We had a lot of rain last week, but we're, we're looking great, and summer has officially started. Awesome. So if you don't know Joe, you can't really miss him in a room. He uh, commands a presence when he's on there. So um, if you're at a trade show and you want to see, you see the Symphonic booth, get over and introduce yourself to Joe. Tell Joe, tell us a little bit about your uh, about the Symphonic business and the role that you play in the company. Oh, sure, Stuart. Well, what, what my key job here is basically as the conduit in between Symphonics as an organization uh, and our channel partners. Uh, Symphonics was founded um, about four years ago, uh, and we decided from day one as we were putting the whole business plan together that we would not sell direct, that we would sell through a channel, and uh, we're very proud to say that that has been uh, our our experience ever since uh, day one of Symphonics. Uh, and so uh, my job primarily as a director of channel development and business development is that I spend uh, my days looking for ways that we as an organization can assist our partners in everything from sales, marketing, uh, product awareness, technical training, uh, any, any of the tools that, that need to be presented out there in order to get a product uh, integrated into a company. And so that goes for people that have been with us for years. Uh, if they just want to up their, um, you know, their skills on the technical side or up their skills on the marketing side or tap into some of our uh, existing programs, uh, all the way into you know dealer recruitment and training and making sure that uh, you know newer partners have access to all the different tools and things that they need to be successful. One of the keys that we you know here at Symphonics understand 
bluntly, is that it, there's a lot of effort, there's a lot of work involved in bringing a new product and integrating that into an existing business set. And so we want to make sure that we spend time uh, talking with the business owners, talking with the sales guys, talking with the techs, and finding out how how it's going to blend into the existing product line, uh, and then you know create a plan and say, okay, so it's not like we can just throw you this uh, Symphonics contract and expect X dollars of revenue a month from you right at the beginning. We have to sit down and figure out what's the best way to ramp. How do how do we help you reach uh, your target customers, and how do we of course uh, sell the product internally to you know one of our channel partners and and their existing internal structure, all the techs and the salespeople and all that kind of fun stuff, and then work on how do we then take that and move it out into the actual uh, customer base of any one of our partners. And I sort of oversee uh, anything that touches the channel. So you might see me at trade shows like you mentioned. Uh, I do a lot of those. I like to get out there, shake hands, uh, get on the road and, and visit people and basically find out you know, how we're doing and what we need to do to do better. Awesome, Joe. And um, you know, you're know you one of the key guys at Symphonics that we deal with on a regular basis. So appreciate you being there for us. So for those people that are maybe they're tuning in and never heard of Symphonics or, and what you guys do, you know, in a nutshell, uh, if I may happen to just be stumbling on this show and I'm the president of a small business, what is it that you guys really do in layman's terms? Well, and that's a great question, right, because that's what this is all about. And, by the way, we really appreciate the offer to share this time with you and certainly to share the air on Blog Talk Radio. The thing that we do is if you can imagine for the last decade or so, the term content filtering has become synonymous with a giant list of URLs that somebody has categorized. And so when you say we do content filtering, that means that somebody said we're going to take a big list of URLs and we are going to say this one's good and this one's bad, or this one is uh, inappropriate and this one's appropriate, or this one is critical and this one is non-critical. Uh, and so content filtering is you use the word content filtering. Everyone has this image in their mind when you say content filtering of this big giant list. Now, on the other hand, we have this uh, idea of application control, layer seven application control. And if you can imagine um, one of the next generation high-end positive content filters, and if you can imagine that that device married uh, a Layer 7 application control device, if they had a baby, that would be Symphonics. We have taken all of the best parts of the next generation high-end content filtering uh, as we know it, in addition to the ability to control applications at their Layer 7 level. And this all starts to it from a very basic concept, and that is we want to control content. And so anytime you have an organization, I don't care if it's a school or a government, a small to mid-sized business, a small to mid-sized enterprise, it, it, within those walls there, there becomes a structure where we want to be able to control what types of content people can access. And the interesting thing over the last probably 18 to 24 months is the amount of content that has become available on the Internet. Is on, it, it's, we've passed the line of ridiculous, and we're now in the land of just Looney Tunes, with how much content is out there. And, and for years and years and years, people say, well, I have a content filter. And, and what they mean to say is that I have a list of URLs that I can block or allow against. And what we noticed about five years ago, maybe six years ago now, was that there are so many different ways to access that content. And I'll give you a quick example. Let's say that, uh, just for kicks, our goal is to make sure that no one in our organization goes and looks at any content um, that includes chickens riding motorcycles. Chickens riding motorcycles, bad. We can't have that show up on any of our screens. We don't want to cause any problems. 
So we can't have any chickens riding motorcycles anywhere in the, in the organization. Now, somebody who sits down at a desk and they pull up a web browser and they search in a search engine, they type in chickens riding motorcycles and they look over their shoulder to make sure that nobody's watching because, you know, they know they're not supposed to be looking at this kind of content. And as they get in there and they start looking at trying to find these images, a standard content filter is going to do a good job at getting the websites that contain chickens riding motorcycles and categorizing them and making sure that that person can't access those through the browser. But Stuart, here's the thing. If I were to open a peer-to-peer -peer application, let's say LimeWire, or let's say Nutella, or let's say BitTorrent, or let's say any one of the myriad of applications that are out there, and I have the search box at the top of that application, just like I have a search box in a search engine, and I type in chickens riding motorcycles, well, not only am I going to get access to the same content, pictures, movies, maybe audiobooks, maybe stories written about chickens riding motorcycles, and all the other kinds of things that might be out there, and I've accessed that same content, but I've never used my browser. So what we've found is that there are so many different organizations, I don't care if it's a school, like I said, government, small to mid-sized business, small to mid-sized enterprise, that are struggling and trying to say, I don't want our people accessing this content. Now, obviously, chickens riding motorcycles is probably a pretty safe kind of content. Most people are concerned with more adult-oriented content, uh, pornography, uh, those types of things. And what happens is that you get people that are accessing the exact same content but never using a browser. So in the world today, we have this concept of what content filtering is, right? And what we found was about, as I mentioned before, about five or six years ago, that the web browser is only half of the story. It's like being asked to guard entrance to a special room in your office. And your job is to make sure that nobody gets in that room. And the ultimate way that you will be judged on, on the performance of your job is whether or not you allowed anybody into this particular room. And so you stand outside the door, and you're guarding that door, and you're not letting anyone walk through that door. And yet you're completely ignoring the four windows that are on the outside of the door, which are all open. So it doesn't matter that no one came in the door, because you can stand there and say, I didn't let anybody through that door, but yet you had 15 people come in through open windows and you failed at your job. So if the job is to manage content, then what we know is that accessing content via a browser, via URL, is only half the story. And we've been doing this now for years and years and years, and so we have stacks of data that show that almost any given Internet connection, Stuart, is going to be about 50% HTTP traffic, 50% browser traffic. And what's really amazing and eye-opening for many, many, many of the businesses and organizations that we go into is what the other 50% consists of. And so as I mentioned before, imagine that marriage between a high-end content filter and a Layer 7 application device. That is the result of us being able to say, we have to look at all the traffic going out and determine if that traffic is trying to access content. doesn't matter if it's a web page or a streaming video file or an audio story or whatever it happens, uh, you know, a podcast, all of which can contain uh, appropriate or inappropriate content and then be able to enforce rules so that we don't get left guarding the door while people are sneaking in the windows. So, Joe, I have a question for you because a lot of the time we talk to clients about this and the answer we get back is, well, I have a firewall. Aren't I secure uh, by all this stuff? A firewall, exactly. a firewall is simply not enough anymore. It isn't. In fact, uh, firewalls, and, and here's the thing about firewalls. The first thing is that it's an integral part of any network security story, right? But it's only a part. 
So firewalls are traditionally designed to, to provide, uh, they do NAT access, they're doing network ad address translation so that the outside world doesn't have access to your internal IP addresses and other kinds of things. A lot of them do, uh, you know, VPN termination and control, and a lot of them also do what's called, you know, port-based monitoring and port-based protection. The problem is that with these open standards of port-based traffic, you know, if I say what port does web traffic use, people are going to respond port 80. If I say what, what ports do email use, people are going to say 25, 110, a bunch of other sort of these standards. In fact, you know, IANA, the organization that actually designs and says these are the types of applications that use these ports, and so it's, what's become, you know, what started out to be a really positive thing on how people can use this application uh, level information to control what types of applications they want to allow in or out of their office became open to everybody. And part of that everybody, Stuart, includes developers of applications like BitTorrent and LimeWire and MSN Instant Messenger and all these other types of applications that you may or may not want in your particular organization. So if I know what ports are going to be open, for example, port 80, then I can write an application that even though it's not HTTP or HTTPS traffic, even though it might be some other type of application, I'm going to use my packet headers and other things to falsify what I am and then be able to operate over a port. So if you're doing port-based scanning or port-based information, then you're simply not diving deep enough to determine what is actually moving through that particular port. Because a whole lot of the new peer-to-peer -peer, uh, file sharing programs, a whole lot of the streaming media programs are using port 80. And the only way to determine the difference between a simple web page and somebody using you know, a different type of application is to go to that layer 7 level and figure out really the DNA of the application that's being asked for. And so that is, that is why, and one of the, the key differences between us and a firewall is the ability to do that layer 7 scanning without introducing any noticeable latency into the product, all right? So if I, if I slow down the user experience, then they're not going to want to use the product. If they don't use the product, there's just always this core balance that organizations have to, you know, kind of go through between speed and security. Because with ever and ever more increasing amounts of content, you want that content instantaneously, and yet, in order to be secure, you're going to have to either slow down that content so you can examine what it really is and then apply your usage rules to it. You know, or you can say, we're going to have really lax security and really high speed, but then if you have really lax security, then you get viruses and other nasties that come in, and they slow down your speed anyway. And so the key difference between us and a firewall is that ability to not just look at port-based um, information, but actual Layer 7-based information. And Stuart, you're familiar, and I know that... Um, you know, your, your guys are familiar with the, the whole concept of port hopping. And that's one thing that our, a lot of our uh, partners actually spend time uh, teaching their customers about these little applications that if, if they're blocked on one port, they're going to keep trying until they get out, until eventually they use port 80. And then once you have access through port 80, the only way to determine it at that point is using layer 7. Okay, and, you know, I get, and that's, uh, that's a great point uh, you make there. Joe, and one of the things I love about what the Symphonic Solution does, especially for our clients who, uh, as the younger generation gets uh, into the workforce, there's a great need for social networking. Now, yep. we can go ahead and block social networking sites like Facebook, Plaxo, uh, and all these other ones that are out there. But one of the things the Symphonic Solution uh, does is 
actually slows that down. So you know you can allocate a certain amount of bandwidth to certain types of uh, content. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, what I'm going to use, if you don't mind, I'm using an analogy uh, about uh, light switches. And just hang with me here because I, I think it will make sense in the end. A lot of people have light switches in their homes. In fact, we hope that most people have light switches on their homes. And uh, most light switches that people are used to, uh, you know, are the single pole light switch that basically has a, a switch on it that says we're going to turn our lights on and we're going to turn our lights off, right? And so mm -hmm. you have this binary idea of either the lights are on or the lights are off. And then somebody got the bright idea to invent what we call dimmer switches. Now, dimmer switches are one of my wife's favorite things. In fact, I have dimmer switches in places in my house that I can't imagine why we'd ever need a dimmer switch. But it doesn't matter because we've got a dimmer switch there, right? And the idea is if I don't want all the light right, on and I don't want all the light off, I want something in the middle. I want mood lighting, okay? So let's say we're having a really fancy dinner party and, uh, you know, I don't know, the – the neighbors drop by, and apparently we want to make sure that everything's really nice and you know, really elegant. So my wife can take this dimmer switch, and she can control the amount of light that's present in the room at any given time by a very small varying amount of degrees. And so it actually works really well because instead of having all the lights on or all the lights off, I can control the mood and the temperature of that room by using this dimmer switch. Now, you brought up a really great point about social networking. The interesting thing about social networking is that some people would say social networking does not include any inappropriate content. I'm not worried about people looking at naked pictures or you know, doing those kinds of stuff at work. What I'm concerned about are two things. Number one, the amount of time people spend on the social networking sites. Because if you think about it, we would never, you know, 15 years ago, you'd never hire somebody, put them in an office, give them an easy chair, and then give them... Uh, access to the mall and then give them a big screen TV with, you know, satellite and uh, a DVD player and, and all these different things and then tell them, hey, just focus on your job. And yet that's what an Internet connection has become. It's become the shopping mall. It's become the social network of your friends. It's become, you know, your TV player, your movie player, all these different kinds of things. And, and yet, again, we, we think that this idea of controlling access to certain websites is going to change the way that this has been woven into the social fabric of everyone's lives. And so as more and more of these people that have grown up in a home, uh, like my, my sons will never know a world without high-speed Internet. Uh, they'll never know the sweet song of the modems dialing and trying to talk to each other, right? Uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's an interesting concept, and it's only going to increase as we go forward. And so what you have is, you have these sites like you know Facebook or MySpace or Gaia or any one of these types of things that are not necessarily inappropriate, right? But they could be major time wasters. And the other second point on those social networking pages is that there's a tremendous amount of content typically available on those websites. So now we have two issues. We have a resource issue in the sense of I don't want my guys wasting time at work, right, and getting caught up in looking at their page and updating what's going on, that kind of stuff. The other one is I don't want them downloading movie clips and song clips and, and pictures from somebody else's web page and taking up bandwidth resources. And so in order to solve those two problems, Symphonics has created a method in which you can actually control the amount of bandwidth that's available for specific types of websites. So we're bringing the concept of the dimmer switch to content management. So instead of just saying you can't go to this web page or you can't go to this particular website, or we don't do any blocking of these types of web pages and types of websites, you can put the dimmer switch on. You can say, I'm going to allow you to access Facebook. But when you go there, we're going to keep it to a 56K connection. And what that means is that 
it's a real kind of subtle reminder to people that says, look, you might be visiting this particular kind of website here at the office, and we don't mind, but it's not going to be a priority for us either by human resource standards, because we're going we're gonna to log and know how much time and, and how many times you're on that particular web page during a given day, but also we're not going to give up our valuable bandwidth resources to these kinds of websites. They're just not critical enough for us to make sure that everything has a level playing field. And so the ability to bring in that dimmer switch and say, we're only going to allow specific amounts of access, and you can even do it by time of day as well. We're only going to allow these websites to be accessed during certain times during the day or certain days during the week, and then also being able to dial in how much bandwidth and what priority those particular types of websites are uh, is, is a tremendously helpful tool. And in particular, um, you know, you brought up social networking. One of the other key aspects of that is how much uh, media is available online. You know, you've got iPods and, and uh, you know, all MP3 players and everything else that's out there. Just a, a couple of months ago, uh, Apple announced uh, all the different movies, uh, HD quality movies that are going to be available for download there on the iTunes. And, and so you get people that are still using the office or um, their work connection to download these types of content because it's still faster than the one at home. And so if you get two or three people in an office, and you know that's one of the keys of, of our device is the ability to say what, act, what types of applications are actually using your bandwidth, um, because if you have bandwidth issues and you think you're doing just fine and it turns out that there are two people in your office that are taking, say, 35% of your total circuit because they're both iTunes fans, that's something you're going to want to know and that's something you're going to want to control. That's and that's right. That's a the big challenge we uh, see today, Joe, is exactly that. How much you know, and again, the, how much time is wasted uh, on these things? If we can throw all that back and and uh, keep our bandwidth uh, free for line of business apps, and also, uh, I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to say frustrate the end user because of the speed. You know, if you load up Facebook at 56k, that could, it will frustrate them. But it'll actually, yeah, that subtle reminder that you know what, we're here to work and we're here to get things right. done in our business. Now, I want to remind everybody that there is a guest call-in number where you can call in and ask questions to Joe on Symphonics, and you can dial in at 646-716-8372. And I think we have a, a, a question from Randy at Value Added Computer Services in St. Catharines, Ontario for us, Joe. I'm going to bring Randy into the call. Randy, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Yeah, you had a question for Joe? Hi, Joe. We use uh, WatchGuard firewalls. And we can do some of what your product does, but probably not everything, right? I definitely expect not everything. My question is around the, the product pricing that I saw in the past. Uh, the lower end machines, like we work a lot in the space of the 5 to 15, 20 users. And we had to go to a pretty high-end box to, to get an interface that would match the speed of the Internet connection. Is there any plans to change that to uh, allow a lower end box to have a higher speed connection? Absolutely. In fact, uh, our, our, our lowest box at the time uh, used to be rated for a make throughput up and down. That's now jumped. That's now doubled. Uh, so the smallest device, the DC10, is now doing a two make throughput. And the other thing, Rand, you bring up a really great point, which is um, the advertised speed on the on the device versus what that actually means. And a lot of people get twisted around. So I'm really glad you brought this point up. What we're concerned about on our devices is the sustained throughput of the device. And see, about, I, I'm going to say about 10 years ago, uh, people that resell bandwidth circuits decided uh, on a really great marketing scheme. And, and you guys, I, I'm sure you guys have been in the game for a long time, uh, you know, Stuart and Randy, and I, I bet you remember, you know, 15 years ago or 
or even 10 years ago, when you used to sell a, a T1 to somebody, you actually got 1.5 meg. There, there was when you bought a T1 and you paid month to month and, and you were paying um, you know, pretty decent money uh, in those days for that T1 line, and, and you were actually getting 1.5 meg, and that 1.5 meg was for you, and it was available all the time, and you could use as much of it as you wanted, uh, and you would cap out at 1.5 meg, and it was a, a fairly consistent line. And what happened is that the people that resell these circuits decided to say, you know what? We could probably make more money if we dumped everything in a big pool and we started selling shared resource type lines. In fact, even today, if you went and asked for a dedicated line rate on a two meg circuit, you're going to be paying loads more than if you were if you went and got a quote unquote uh, business DSL or business cable modem or, or whatever, and they sell you this circuit on these with two magic words in the contract, and those two magic words are up to. Uh, and so what we have is a lot of people that use a business DSL or business cable modem, and they routinely say, oh, I have a 10-meg circuit. And you say, okay, that's great. And what the Symphonics device is more concerned about is, of that 10-meg circuit, what is your sustained throughput rate? So I might have up to 10 megs available to me, but I'm probably averaging in the neighborhood of 2 to 3, right, or somewhere in that neighborhood, right? And so the, one of the keys in sizing the boxes correctly for these smaller offices is to make sure that, and we encourage, obviously, our, our partners to, to have a – we have a very aggressive NFR program, so you can put one of these devices on your truck, tuck it under your arm, and go out and leave it there for a couple of days or a week and actually find out what is the throughput, what, what are people actually using on this circuit. Uh, I've talked to, you know, huge universities, um, you know, in the U.S. and in Canada and South America and in Europe, and, and they will they – will, I'll say what, what type of uh, – you know, what size Internet circuit are you using? And they'll routinely tell me they have a gigabit – to the internet, uh, so they got a gig to the internet, or you know whatever, and and it's it's interesting because they're talking about either the copper or the fiber that is available to them, or uh, the fact that uh, you know maybe one of the states or provinces has a, a fiber link and they they all share you know a hundred or two hundred megs to the internet, and yet that gets translated down to the individual end user as I have one gig to the internet. Now, when you ask them, well, what's your average sustained throughput, then they give you answers like, oh, 20 meg, you know, 5 meg. And so you just need to be aware that the boxes are rated at sustained throughput. So if you have a device that your average sustained throughput is, you know, 1.5 meg, 1.8 meg, a DC-10 will handle that circuit all, you know, fine, even though they spike at some points to 5 or 6 meg uh, throughout the course of the day or throughout the course of a week, Right. So uh, just keep in mind the device itself is designed for sustained throughput, not for a max circuit speed. And, and having an NFR box or, or having a box on site that you can take out there and actually run, because a lot of times the customer will insist that, hey, I've got a 10 meg business cable modem. And they're actually using probably on average between 2 to 3 meg. And that's one of those ways that you can solve those problems. But, yes, we have actually increased the two lowest boxes that have both doubled their bandwidth throughputs to 2 meg on the DC-10 and 5 meg on the DC-20. Does that, that answer your question, Randy? Yeah, I think so. I, I guess uh, the best bet would be to actually run through the trial and see what it's going to do, because we have uh, a couple clients. We have a wireless provider, and Stuart, you might know them, Terrago. Uh, yes. We have them out here, and we have a couple people on uh, 8 meg synchronous circuits. Yep. It, it is dedicated uh, speed to them, uh, and they primarily have those circuits largely because Terrago wasn't able to uh, get anybody else on in the area. So yeah. the client is legitimately paying for 2.5 megs, but yep. Terrago said, well, here's 8 megs. So 
because we don't just don't have anybody else in your area, so we'll give it to you. But in the event we bring more people on, we are going to crank that down. So I just want to make sure that we're not taking something away from them that they're accustomed to having and that's out there, but it can be removed by Terrago at any time as well. So that and, and uh, Kojiko is the cable provider we use. And, yeah, they promote 16 megs, and I definitely agree with you how they do pull it together, and it's the sustained speed is obviously a big factor. I believe we're getting more than two megs down, which is my concern if we start throttling that too much, especially if we have techs on, on site uh, doing some deployments or patch management and stuff like that, and we start impacting our ability to actually perform our work. So I just want to make sure that we're, we're not uh, impacting our performance. So, and, and Randy, but it's excellent questions, right? And so here's, here's, the, here's the way that the device is designed. The device is not designed to put a hard cap. So if I give you a box that's rated for 2 meg, that doesn't mean that the minute it tries to go 2.1, it stops. Okay? The device is rated at 2 meg because what we're saying is that at a 2 meg sustained throughput speed, there'll be absolutely no issues. There's, there's no uh, slowdown. There's no uh, latency. There's none of those issues. It will support spikes, uh, obviously, above that. Um, and, and the way that the box is designed is that it begins to shut down processes. For example, let's say you're running a report and that uh, processor was in the box itself, uh, you've got a spike, you're running 5 meg through the box, uh, you know, the box is rated for 2 megs throughput, and you're running a report at the same time. Instead of slowing down that 5 meg traffic or trying to impose a shaping limit on that 5 meg burst, it's going to slow down the report. So it'll take longer to return the report as opposed to interrupt or introduce latency onto the line speed of the device itself. There's a lot of logic inside to make sure that the Internet experience is not limited because we're sitting in line. Now, if you, put a, if you go out and put a DC-10, again, rated for 2 megs sustained throughput, on a circuit that's constantly moving 6 megs, then you're going you're gonna to have issues, right? But that's one of those things where having the ability to have uh, one of our devices and actually see what is moving through, <coughs> excuse me, is what's going to be the best possible solution for that. Another thing, um, uh, Randy, while, you, while we got you here, that you might want to try is a lot of times, uh, either the router, the firewall, or even the ISP themselves will be able to provide um, total traffic reports, sort of MRTG-looking type graphs. And, and sometimes when people literally don't know what they're averaging, I usually say, can you give me a 24-hour, a one-week, and a one-month picture of what your average throughputs are? And that will that'll give you somewhat of a good idea uh, on what the actual place is using. Um, and so, yeah, you get five or ten people. Sometimes those five or ten people, you know, cumulatively will generate, you know, two megs of traffic or one-half megs of traffic, and sometimes one of those five will, you know, try to pull seven meg all day long. So it's just the ability to get in there and actually see what's happening first. And there brings up another point. Um, you know, we have quite a few of our partners that actually have, uh, you know, a SKU number in their sales book for a network analysis. And they go out and they'll charge anywhere from $1,000 to $5,000, and they'll, you know, put one of our devices in line, and they'll let it sit there for one or two weeks, and they print out all the different reports and show everyone, okay, here's where your bandwidth is going, and here's your most requested type of website, and here's your heaviest user, and here's your heaviest time of day, and here are the types of threats that you're currently addressing, and here's how we stop them, and, and all of those different kinds of things. And so then not only is there revenue up front for the analysis, but there's also revenue on the back end when they, solve, they sell a device to solve the problems as well. Okay. No, that's great, Joel. Thank you. I just, uh, on the watch guard side, and I find typically I'm on the lower end of the scale. Everybody uses SonicWall, and we seem to always be the odd man out here. But on the watch guard side, 
do you have any uh, wow factor competitive analysis of this is what we do a lot better than them? Because, again, I think that your device has some stellar features that do exceed what the WatchGuard one does. And, again, the space that we're playing in is in relatively small. So if we go into a 15, 20-user network and put a core in, we, we've sometimes tapped their resources for investment into technology in that capacity. So I'm just wondering, do we back down and put in a lower and device and, and complement it with a Symphonics box or something like that. Can you comment on something around that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and so so the the basic the basic thing is, what's what's going to best serve the customer? Let's take for example a customer who's just like you said, like everyone else, they're resource strapped, not 100% sure on what they actually need. Um, you know, we know we they, they need a firewall. We're not a firewall. We know we don't we don't do that. Um, and, and then I, I would start that conversation by asking the person making those decisions is how important is managing content to you? And if they work in an environment that might be controlled by some legal uh, rules, whether it be an accounting or a, a doctor's office or uh, something of that nature where they, they have to be incredibly secure with the kinds of content that they have, um, if you have that particular situation, then one of the things you're going to have to do is just ask them how important is it uh, protecting access to content. And if, if, they're, if they're sort of lackadaisical about it, if they're saying, well, it's not a huge part of our business, um, then that gives you an idea of how much accuracy and control that you're going to want to offer uh, that particular uh, customer. Uh, if they say, we have to have 100% content management, then you can introduce the idea on the differences between having a sort of all-in-one device or uh, for a while there last year, they started to be called UTM devices where, hey, we do a firewall and we do some antivirus and we do some anti-spyware and we do some content filtering. Uh, but ultimately, Randy, what you're going to be faced with is that a company is either a content management company or they're a firewall company, right? But rarely you're going to get a company that does two things really well. And so one of the things that is a key difference between us and the firewall organizations that are out there is that we, we live, sleep, sleep, and breathe managing access to content and securing malware and those kinds of things. And they live, sleep, and breathe designing firewalls. And those two things are not blended well together. In fact, most of the, the firewalls that are out there, in fact, all of them uh, that we've seen, uh, content management is, is an add-on piece. Sometimes they give it away. They say, hey, try this for 30 days, see what happens. And sometimes it's uh, a little bit more uh, involved in that. But basically what it is, is a list of URLs that gets added to a firewall. And the two issues you're going to come across is, number one, the firewall is not designed to be a content filter. It's designed to be a firewall. And so anytime that you have to do real-time keyword analysis or you have to do anonymous proxy protection and, and you have to do HTTPS content filtering, they simply don't have the horsepower available to them to do those kinds of things. Why? Well, because it's designed to be a firewall. And so the, the, the main differences between us and something like that are going to be centered around the fact that what, what we do is manage content, and what they do is secure uh, you know, as a firewall. And so by, by the nature of those things being our core mission, being different, uh, content management for the firewall companies is always going to be an add-on, or I don't want to use the word afterthought, but it's always going to be something that is secondary to their primary focus. And because of that, uh, you know, speed and understanding how anonymous proxies work and how people use uh, web-based filters and anonymous proxy filters to get around content filtering or, or, or dependent 100% on list-based content filtering, that will always be behind on that because 
it's just not a core part of their business. Whereas, you know, that's what we do every day. And and that's kind of a general overview. And again, if you'd like to get more specific about, uh, you know, Symphonics versus WatchGuard, we can certainly take that offline and spend some time there. And I don't think, Joe, that's a challenge that uh, WatchGuard firewalls have, Sonic walls, or even Cisco's. I think they all all the major firewall vendors have that uh, challenge where they're not a content management company. I, I like the way you worded that. They are a firewall company, and and I and I can foresee down the road here that the Symphonic solution will be one of those automatic attaches to a network. That we do today with Exchange Server and SharePoint coming in, these are some of the things as, as a trusted IT advisor, and I much I really don't like that term, uh, <laughs> or the, the CIO or the network manager, these are things we're going to automatically attach to benefit our clients because, you know what, they don't know what they don't know, and if we can help them with that, they all say, yeah, you know, we do have a problem with uh, lack of productivity because people are surfing to websites that we don't approve of. Or, you know, we get this bill from Terrigo, which is one of the wireless internet providers we have here in Calgary as well, that, you know, I have a 40-gig uh, connection, but you know what, I'm getting 60, 70 gigs uh, every month. I'm 30 gigs over. Yeah. How, why is this? Why And what's happening? The solution from Symphonics allows us to report on that and allows us to uh, keep that valuable bandwidth available to our line of business apps and our business data. Yep, you're, you're, Stuart, you, you hit the nail right on the head. It, the first step is awareness, right? The first step is saying we have to know what we have. We have to know. And, and that's one of the interesting things about it. it you, you'll remember five, six years ago when um, the, uh, the anti-threat tools became dominant out there uh, on the web. i got to have the viruses are killing me, and everyone was getting killed by uh, everything from Sasser and, and all the other stuff that was out there. And, and people were like, I, I, don't, I don't know about viruses. And, and all it took was one virus to, to penetrate one of those companies. And, and then it was, that's it. And they made a phone call and they said, i got to get antivirus protection. It's killing me. And then they, people went in. They started doing security audits and, you know, uh, everything. You know, 50 of the 75 computers at the organization were infected. And, you know, they had to rebuild three of the computers. They were so bad and, and that whole thing. Well, the same thing is evolving with the Internet, more and more applications. It doesn't matter if it's Salesforce.com or if it's Microsoft Live Meeting or if it's any one of these tools are dependent upon the web-based circuit. And those web-based uh, informations are going to get more and more and more critical, right, as we go forward. And, and the ability to then manage not just, again, when we say manage content, let's go back to that dimmer switch analogy, what I'm trying to say is you decide. You decide how much bandwidth you want to go to this particular app. You decide if you want people to have access to this web page or if you want to have no access to these types of web pages or, or if you want to be able to shape the bandwidth that goes back and forth. You decide. And, and, and that's the difference between this concept of, uh, well, I know that we use the web for email and I know we use the web for my browsers but I don't know actually how it breaks out. And, and that's that awareness that absolutely becomes critical as you go forward. So, Joe, one of the things I wrote down here was around compliance. Now, in Canada and in the U.S., we have regulations around SOX, Sarbanes-Oxley. We have HIPAA in the U.S. with PEPIDA here in, in Canada. We have, you know, companies that want to protect, you know, privately traded companies that want to protect their corporate information. How can we leverage the Symphonic solution 
to make sure we meet our compliance regulations and, and can we report to our shareholders that we are taking everything, all the steps possible to make sure our data is secure? Well, that's a great question. One of the, one of the first pieces of that uh, compliance uh, discussion starts with, well, do you, know, do you know what's actually on your network? Do you know what people are, what's coming out of your network? <laughs> and and that's, that's the first step, right, is to be able to say, I can accurately identify uh, the types of applications, the top users, what applications they're using, what times of day they're transmitting uh, those technologies. Uh, in the case of the browsers, what well, websites they're going to. In the case of instant messages, uh, we can even log um, you know, some of the instant message capabilities uh, on some of the MSN, uh, AOL, a couple of the, the leading uh, IM clients that are out there. And the compliance issues all circle around you know, the same thing. Are you doing what you need to do? Are you observing and monitoring how these digital communications are are being used so that you can accurately say, no, we're, we're protecting the data by eliminating access to these kinds of websites or these kinds of applications. And so all that starts at, at the very beginning. It all starts with uh, monitoring what's actually going on, what, what is actually available um, to our employees and, and how are they using it and when are they using it uh, and how much of it are they using uh, and all of those types of things with our report engine are, are very visible. Uh, the reports can be emailed. Um, if you want to send them to stockholders, you want to send them to, to anyone else in your organization. Or let's say you know, one of the more popular ones, let's say at the end of the day, uh, one of the IT professionals notices an excessive amount of activity with one particular user. Um, that's, you know, and then, of course, you can clamp down. Our device will record everything from what applications are being used, what websites, spyware viruses, anything that might be going on there. Uh, and then you could also you know, inform that person's manager that, hey, there's some real bizarre activity going on with so-and-so. And just you need to be aware of that as, as you go forward and, and as you do your checks and whatever else. And then not only do you have the proof from our side on what kind of activities have been going on, but you also can, you know, proactively manage the situation. I, I mean, I, I know of, for as many stories as there are people who are, you know, breaking uh, you know, policy or, or doing looking at inappropriate content or doing those kinds of things, I have just as many stories where our devices prove somebody's innocence, right? Where, um, you know, one, one particular story, uh, I remember an executive who, uh, after coming back from a long trip, you know, had plugged the laptop back of the network, and I, was, I happened to be on site uh, doing a visit, and uh, I was with the technician out on site, and the technician was watching the real-time monitor in the network composer, and all of a sudden the um, the needle just pinned out on the on the download and upload. It was the bandwidth immediately became 100% occupied, and and you know of course that creates some slowdowns, and and then the phone starts ringing in the IT office. Hey, what's going on? The internet seems really slow. I can't use this. I can't use that. And using uh, the reporting engine, the composer, they identify this particular uh, person as the the number one user on the network, and and not just by a little bit, but by a tremendous amount. And then when we went and looked through the applications, there was a ton of SMTP traffic being generated from this particular user. And the IT guy actually jumped up out of his chair and he went running down the hall. And uh, I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And he had recognized that this particular uh, executive is his laptop for the last couple of weeks. He'd been on vacation. So he'd let his kids on his laptop to play games and other things on the Internet. And his laptop was completely infected with all kinds of different uh, blaster-type viruses where they were, he was basically getting his email address book and it was just being taken over 
and it was just downloading uh, as much garbage as it could from the internet and sending out just a bazillion different um, you know emails using his address book to go ahead and have that. And because they saw that and recognized that pattern, he was able to go and he literally unplugged the Ethernet cable out of the back of the docking station, and then of course ran a ran a cleanup on the device and you know took care of it. Uh, and that's just a really good you know method to say this this guy wasn't intentionally downloading um, you know nasty viruses and spywares and stuff. He just he he was. Uh, what, what we call a more basic technology user and had no idea that his kids were up there using LimeWire and BitTorrent and were downloading songs and all kinds of stuff that eventually just, you know, completely infected his laptop. So it just goes to show, Joel, that uh, yeah, we can't trust our kids, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the answer is get them their own laptop, I think. Exactly. Yeah, I'm dealing with that with my 13-year-old one his own laptop right now. So, you know, Joel, you know, you mentioned lots of great things. You know, I just happened to stumble upon this show on Blog Talk Radio, and you know, I'm a again, I'm a, I'll use my favorite analogy. I'm the president of a trucking company. I know I got a problem. Uh, how do I go about, you know, buying or getting a Symphonics device to throw on my network and start uh, proactively managing uh, our bandwidth and our content? Well, there there are multiple ways, right? As I mentioned before, we work especially through a reseller channel. Stuart, you've been one of our uh, our guys for a while they can certainly uh, get a hold of you but if you're if you're the owner of a, a small company and you want to start uh, with one of us one of the things the easy things you could do is call us here in the US uh, you know the toll-free number at 866-511-1155 uh, just tell us your story and we'll put you in touch with the person uh, who who needs to take care of you one of our trusted uh, partners um, symphonics.com obviously has a tremendous amount of information there's uh, online uh, demos and, and uh, short uh, videos that you can watch, you know, three to five minutes that will kind of tell you a little bit more about the product and, and how you can get in touch with us. Um, you know, you can email sales at symphonics.com. Uh, if, you're, if you're interested in becoming one of our partners, you can uh, email us at reseller at symphonics.com. Uh, we can certainly help you out uh, with any of those. But the bottom line is there are multiple ways to access us. You know, hit the web, get our, get our information, give us a call, and we will certainly uh, get you teamed up with the right person. Uh, make sure that all the information you need is is there, and talk to you a little bit about what you need to have uh, as far as um, you know what what's the best possible solution. You know, Randy brought up a, a you know some great points about uh, size of the circuit and how much people are actually using, and 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 how we can determine all this stuff. And you're you're you know welcome to call. We we'd love to talk to you. And just make sure people have the spelling of Symphonics right. It's C as in Charlie, Y as in Yankee. M as in Mike, P as in Papa, H as in Hotel, O as in Oscar, N as in Nancy, I as in India, X as in X-ray. Can you tell I'm uh, ex-military, Joe? Yes, sir. I appreciate the Yankee reference, too. I mean, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the, that, so make sure you go at symphonics.com. Make sure you go there and uh, you can get all the good information. Yeah, watch the videos. Uh, Western Canadian partners, yeah, definitely call us at it, itmatters.ca. Uh, we'll definitely help you out. Uh, in the East, our good friend Randy, who was on earlier, he's in St. Catharines, Ontario, he can definitely help you out at vax.com, V-A-C-S.com. Um, and, the Joe, you know, through all the HTG partners and all the other resellers out there, there's lots of trusted advisors that can help out with uh, with a Symphonic solution. Absolutely. Have we missed anything, Joe, that we should really be telling the listeners today about, uh, you know, what's up and coming, uh, anything we missed yet? Well, the two big—I think the two big threats that are looming out on the horizon—not not looming. I mean, they're here. They're things that people are addressing. 
the two big issues have to do with anonymous proxies and secure web traffic. Um, a, a lot of a lot of users of content filters, um, you know, people that have recently just renewed their content filtering, or or maybe they've uh, you know they have subscription and they just upped uh, you know an option on the firewall or something like that. Um, uh, they need to be aware of, of the two. I would say the two biggest problems facing content management, um, you know, for the next foreseeable future, and that is people who are using what are known as anonymous proxies to bypass content filters altogether. And the way that it works is that you visit a website that allows you to um, look at web pages through the portal of this proxy website, uh, and the website itself has no triggers, no alarms that would set up a, con a traditional content filter. Uh, in fact, it might just be an IP address. Uh, but if you go to someplace like proxy.org, uh, or you go to any one of these, uh, proxify.com, uh, and if you just search for you know anonymous proxies in, in uh, your search engine there, you'll get lists of thousands of pages that return, and all the pages basically do the same thing. They allow you to use the page as a portal to bounce your request um, through to uh, whatever web page you're trying to look at without uh, offsetting most uh, content filters. Uh, anonymous proxies are really, really tricky, in particular for list-based content filters, because the, we've, we've passed the point where any kind of list will be able to accurately categorize what's on the web. I mean, you've got uh, millions and millions and millions of websites that go live on any given day. And, and to say that you're going to have a list that categorizes the, the websites now that are available on the web is, is just ridiculous. You need to have a list that gives you all your low-hanging fruit, right? Like everyone knows that Playboy is going to have naked pictures. And so you've got to be able to get a list so that you can accurately and quickly identify some of those low-hanging fruit. But being a device that sits in line and allows you to filter that technology, um, the only way to be able to stop something like anonymous proxies is to have intelligence in the machine that understands as this web page is loading, there, there are triggers in there that say, this page is a, is a proxy page. This is something that's going to allow people to relay their request through this web page and get to whatever types of content they want. And, and we have to be able to shut that down. That's one of the things that Symphonics is getting a lot of awards for and really uh, making an impact is, is our technology, not just on hardware-based proxies, but also these web-based proxies. And the second item uh, that I think just needs to be brought up is the increasing amount of web pages that are now uh, also running HTTPS servers in addition to HTTP servers. Uh, because that request is encrypted, uh, there are a lot of content, out, content filters out there that simply don't see the request. So if, if I want to block people from using Facebook, right, uh, Facebook.com or MySpace.com, and I can't see that my user is asking for that, how am I going to block it? So you have to be able to see that there's an encrypted request. Uh, you have to be able to crack the encryption, look at what was actually being asked for, and then re-encrypt it and send it back up so that you know none of the certificate warnings go off in the browser. Uh, and that's another thing that we've we've done. We're one of the few out there that actually can do full HTTPS filtering, as opposed to just shutting off HTTPS access. Because the the issue with more and more HTTPS traffic being out there is that there's just as many legitimate sites that are now requiring HTTPS as there are non-legitimate sites. And so again, that on-off switch versus the dimmer becomes uh, you know a very powerful analogy because now I can't just turn off 443. Right, port 443 and say, I have no HTTPS access, because as soon as you do that, there's going to be a site that you order from or your customer always 
does business with this particular government and our website, and, and you can't get access to that. And, and so you, you have to be able to filter that as opposed to just turning it all on and off. And those two technologies, those anonymous proxies and that HTTPS, um, have basically said if you can't control these two things, then your content filter is it doesn't work anymore because I can use some any one of these basic search commands in a search engine and find a gazillion different lists. Uh, there, there are organizations to it that will actually text you every single day uh, six or seven different IP addresses that are anonymous proxies that are only up for you know 10 to 12 hours. And so if you don't have the technology embedded in the device itself to catch those and make sure that people don't have access to those websites, um, then your content filter is, is not doing what it needs to do. And Joe, one more quick question in the last few minutes that we have today, and it just kind of hit me. What about spam? Because I know people always ask about spam. Does Symphonix do anything to manage spam, or is it just basically still doing the content management around emails and things like that? No, we, we don't. Uh, we do port 80. Uh, on, on your port 80, so your web-based email, we, do, we run anti-threat scans on all your port 80 stuff. So if someone's trying to get a virus or malware, spyware coming in through web-based email, your Google, Yahoo, that kind of stuff, we, we'll catch and we'll, we'll do that. But we made a conscious decision, Stuart, to be really good at what we do and to not try to be all things to all people. And that included some hard decisions. Uh, we didn't want to be a firewall. In fact, the, there are so many people out there that say, oh, you know, if you could just put the firewall feature in there, that would be great. We know we'll never catch up to some of these companies that have been a firewall for, you know, decade plus. It, 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 the, the, the knowledge, the experience, all that stuff is in there. And so we don't want to offer a product that's, that's not going to be best in class. And then you have the same thing with spam. The, the spam race started a while ago. There, there are excellent companies out there uh, that do spam, and, and we knew that yeah, we could squeeze it in, uh, make, make this happen. Maybe we could, but we'd never be as good as somebody else. And, and then we try our, our effectiveness would be spread too thin. And so we made a conscious decision that we are the best content management system on the market. And that means that we have the best content filtering, uh, you know, in, in, of course, in our own humble opinion, right? And the best content filtering uh, technologies out there. We have the best application control uh, technologies available. Uh, we've got some amazing anti-threat, um, anti-malware technologies available. And, and you know, what we, what we think is the, the easiest to use, most powerful reporting engine most people have ever seen. Uh, and that's what we do. And so, uh, you know, spam, whatever technologies that come up, we're, we're going to humbly say we have wonderful people in the market that have created solutions for those. And, you know, we, we would say, you know, go, go find a great partner. And the other thing that we've done, Stuart, is to make sure that we don't interfere with these other devices. We, we're, we're literally a transparent bridge. When you put us in, what comes in the box and what goes out the box, uh, you know, we're not going to interfere with other spam filters or, or you know, uh, inline anti-threat devices or inline instant message recorders or any of those kinds of things, uh, we're going to be a critical piece of that network solution as opposed to, uh, you know, trying to take up space and, and not, not, not playing well with others. Perfect. And that's, so we still have a market for SonicWall, email security, and all the other uh, mail filtering solutions that are out there today. Joe, I really want to thank you for your, your time today. We're almost, uh, we're almost done our show. It's hard to believe an hour filled out already. But, uh, you know, in, in closing, maybe just share your contact information one more time with those listening. Sure. Symphonics.com, C-Y-M-P-H-O-N-I-X. Uh, you can go there. Um, sales at Symphonics.com. If you have any requests about the actual devices or how to get in touch with one of our uh, key partners, again, Western Canada, uh, we got Stuart and his great um, 
uh, organization there for us. Uh, and if you're interested in reselling device, uh, you can send an email to reseller at symphonics.com. But uh, anything that you might need on that, um, uh, as far as information on how to go forward, you can reach on the website there. Uh, we have to take you. Stuart, thank you so much for, for allowing us this opportunity and uh, for hosting us on this great interview. And it's been great, Joanne. I really appreciate it. And again, our website for those that are interested in, you know, you're resell or you're not a reseller, but you're an in, in, in customer looking for a symphonic solution. ITMatters.ca is the place to go. And I want to also help out our friend Randy there in St. Catharines. So Eastern contacts, go to vax.com, V-A-C-S.com. One of us will be able to help you out. And if you're in the U.S., take Joe up on his offer. There's lots of great partners in the U.S. that can definitely help you with a symphonic uh, solution and get you pointing in the right, dire- right direction so you're, ma- you're managing that content, you're able to report on your bandwidth that's being used, and all that good stuff that keeps your productivity and your company profitable as we uh, move forward in the second half of, of 2008. Uh, We've got some great shows lined up here in the next little while on, on Small Business IT Radio. We have uh, next week, we're doing a little early next week. We're going on Thursday instead of Friday, and the reason for that is uh, we're going to be observant of our friends down in the States on their 4th of July holiday. So we're going to have uh, Eric Dorsell and a few other of my HTG buddies on uh, next Thursday at 10 o'clock. Talk about prepping for the Worldwide Partner Conference that Microsoft has starting um, July 7th in Houston. So that will be next Thursday at 10 a.m. Mountain. That's uh, noon on the East Coast and 9 a.m. on the Pacific Coast. And then uh, we're going to skip a week because – I'm going to be down at the South Texas Rock Festival watching some 80s uh, heavy metal music because that's the kind of stuff I'm into. So I'm going to be off that Friday going to San Antonio for that show. So I'll be off. Uh, we'll be off on that's uh, July the 11th, I do believe, or the 12th. I'm going to skip that week. And then the following week we have uh, Dave Sobel from Evolve Technologies from uh, the Washington, D.C. area. We're going to be talking about I'm a Mac and I'm a PC and how we uh, create a heterogeneous network that Macs and PCs can exist on the same uh, network. And then coming up, we're planning to have uh, Greg Davis, who's the channel manager from Dell, on talk about uh, the second half of the year, uh, what's coming up in the Dell channel, and some other great stuff. So go to smallbusinessitradio.com, www.smallbusinessitradio.com. If you'd like to reach out to uh, me for any questions, you can email me at uh, info at smallbusinessitradio.com. That'll get to me, or my personal email is stuart at stuartcrawford.com, and that's S-T-U-A-R-T. I'd like to thank Randy for his questions. I'd like to thank Joe for coming on and spending an hour with us. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing you guys next Thursday here on Small Business IT Radio.